Hey, are you looking for new and innovative ways to connect with your children? Do you want to learn how to connect with them through hip-hop, social media, and popular culture? Then look no further than my company, The Glad Dad. I'm Dion, a keynote speaker, professional development trainer, and workshop presenter. And I'm also an expert in family engagement. And I want to show you and everyone around you how to use the latest trends to connect with young people on a much deeper level. A level that will truly break down barriers and create change. By working with The Glad Dad, you'll learn how to break through the noise and meet young people where they are to connect with them on their level. You'll discover new ways to communicate, engage, and create meaningful connections that'll last a lifetime. Whether you're a parent, teacher, or youth leader, I want to teach you the strategies that'll help you connect with your kids like never before. From keynote speeches to professional development training, I got you covered. So don't wait any longer. Visit my website, DionChavis.com today to learn more about how I can help you connect with your children through hip-hop, social media, and popular culture. Your kids will thank you for it. That's right, The Glad Dad, helping adults establish positive relationships with young people. Reach out to me today and let's discuss how I can serve you and your staff. Now let's get back to the podcast. You know, first time I heard a white boy call me the N-word, it was the fifth grade. By that time, my mom had brainwashed me into believing that all scientists were black. Um, <laughs> I felt really good about myself. I grew up in Atlanta. I was just looking at him like he was crazy. I was like, I don't know what you said. I, I feel like you're trying to be disrespectful. I, I-, I can't even really completely understand what you're talking about right now. But it-, <laughs> it didn't have nowhere to go because, like, I had already been built up so much, right? Like, mm-hmm. I had already heard black is beautiful so much. Like, I had, it had already been overdone for me. And so like that, it had no place to settle. But I think- Hey, y'all, what's up? Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Dads in the Class, uh, the number one podcast where we discuss fatherhood engagement in their children's education. Of course, you know me, Dion Chavis, also known as the Glad Dad. Family engagement educator, glad to be here. Glad to be back with you all with a really, really dope guest for this episode, a good brother who... Uh, I've been getting to know over the last few months through his work in the community here in North Carolina and uh, just all of the dope stuff that he's doing. So definitely wanted to bring this um, episode to your attention. Of course, this is an exclusive LinkedIn podcast event that's going on right now. We actually expanded a little bit. You know, we've got the Black People Parenting Facebook group. So folks in Black People Parenting Facebook group should be chiming in also. But I just want to just welcome to the podcast, Dr. William Jackson, uh, just chief, I said chief, chief dreamer and uh, just the, 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 the brain behind the village of wisdom. Uh, I want to bring him onto the podcast and just talk about a lot of the work that he's doing with uh, Village of Wisdom and Black Genius because they're doing a lot of really, really good work. Uh, so, Dr. Jackson, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, appreciate you for having me, Dion. I'm excited to be here. For sure, for sure, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about, man, I was with you um, last weekend. We were together uh, at this event for Black Genius, and it was an amazing event that your organization um, put together. So always a pleasure to have you here. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the foundation. Like what was the driving force behind Village of Wisdom? Tell us what Village of Wisdom is and tell us what um, drove you to start the organization. Yeah, good question. So, you know, Village of Wisdom, we started, or I started um, back in 2014. And really, the the big piece about Village of Wisdom and, and what got me there was that I was, um, I was a classroom teacher. And I was teaching in the classroom. And I realized that, like, my students were getting good test scores, but I wasn't doing the best job of preparing them for life. Um, and, and one of the things that I didn't think school at a particular time was really great at is like helping students to learn how to learn, right? Like how do they guide their own learning? How do they do self-guided learning? And so I, I went to grad school to kind of better understand like what learning looked like and how it happened and, and all those different pieces. And eventually what I found out was that learning to be super simple, to, to make this super simple is connecting new information to prior knowledge. And so when you think about that, as Black people, we bring a certain type of prior knowledge, usually based on the culture that we grow up in. And so if somebody was to use, you know, the analogy of spades to explain subtraction in addition to kids in the Black community, especially like if you went to an HBCU like us, 
Like that probably would be a good task, right? Like folks would understand that because they know what books are. They know what it means to run a Boston. They know what it means to renege. Like they can kind of understand that, those concepts. But sometimes what happens a lot of times for our children is they end up in classrooms where folks are using cultural references that they're not aware of. And then those students are judged because they can't make connections to, the, to their prior knowledge because of the prior knowledge mismatch. And so what ends up happening a lot of times in classrooms because of that cultural mismatch, folks kind of underappreciate that the cultural mismatch is actually a cognitive thing. So now I don't have the prior knowledge that you're trying to tap into so that I can make this new connection. And that's also, I think, why a lot of Black teachers tend to do a better job at increasing outcomes for Black students, because oftentimes those teachers are more likely to share the cultural backgrounds of those kids. And the more those teachers lean into the, the cultural backgrounds of those children, the more likely those kids are going to be successful. Mm-hmm. That being said, and so so really the, the problem that I kind of got at was that like we were asking kids to code switch. <laughs> Not only were we asking them to do that difficult cognitive kind of task of like making connections to stuff they didn't have no connection to, but we were also asking them to code switch while learning at the same time. And so, you know, most black folks are kind of familiar with that. My earliest remembrance of that is that hearing my dad talk to some person who was calling about some bills or something and him, you know, changing his voice completely. And I was like, who is that dude? I've never heard him before. Mm-hmm. Um, but kids are required to do that all the time in classrooms. So we ask them like, oh, well, you can't talk like that. You can't speak like that. And essentially what we're doing is telling those kids that they can't talk like their, their family. They can't talk like their friends. They can't talk like their mothers and fathers and sisters as if, as if there's something wrong with how they talk. And then also when, when they hear the person talking to them, they have to decode that language because oftentimes it's kind of coming to them in an unfamiliar way. And so that's another cognitive task that we're asking kids to do. And then the last cognitive task that we also ask kids to do in a classroom, outside of learning stuff that's unfamiliar, outside of asking them to code switch while they're learning, is that we ask them to deal with racism and learn at the same time. Mm-hmm. We cut off their hair, we cut off their hair in classrooms. We show them a whole bunch of white people, tell them that their people ain't had nothing to do with any kind of intellectual contributions in the class. We tell them that what they wear is illegal, how they show up is illegal, and all this other stuff. And, question them when they show up in the gifted courses like all these different instances that we've seen like you know popular news articles about and so now they're dealing with racism they got a code switch and they got to deal with unnecessary uh like our unfamiliar context clues when they're learning information and what i thought was really wild when i was starting village of wisdom is that nobody was talking about any of these issues as like reasons why we had an achievement gap so yeah i think this is 2014 to take people back, 2014, Barack Obama's president. We're in post-racial America. White folks have fixed everything for Black people. I don't know if y'all remember this time, but that's like how people were talking about it. Um, and I'm trying to say like, no, this is big, big issue. And this is pre-Trump, right? And so people really were talking about the achievement gap as if parents were the problem. And so this is how the other part of Villagerism came to be, is that like, I was like, okay, well, we got to deal with, we got to create some kind of intervention that's going to support um, Black children in navigating racism inside of classrooms. And so how do we do that? Well, there's this research about racial socialization that basically says that when Black parents affirm Black children, it makes them more resilient to experiencing racism in schools um, mm-hmm. or experiencing racism in general. So like, for example, you know, first time I heard a white boy call me the N-word, it was the fifth grade. By that time, my mom had brainwashed me into believing that all scientists were black. Um, <laughs> I felt really good about myself. I grew up in Atlanta. I was just looking at him like he was crazy. I was like, I don't know what you said. I, I feel like you're trying to be disrespectful. I-, I-, I can't even really completely understand what you're talking about right now. But it-, it didn't have nowhere to go because, like, I had already been built up so much, right? Like, mm-hmm. I had already heard Black is Beautiful so much. Like, it had already been overdone for me. And so, like, that, it had no place to settle. But I think for a lot of children, and this isn't a parent's fault, because we don't necessarily have those conversations, and we don't give parents space and time to talk about that, because they haven't had that opportunity to pour into their kids, when they hear these negative conceptions, it can cause you to, to second-guess yourself. It can cause a lot of anxiety. Like, it's not, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel good ever regardless but it can really do like some irreplaceable harm and so racial socialization or asking black parents or encouraging them 
to talk to other black parents with each other about how they were going to talk to their kids about race was really like the impetus of village of wisdom. Mm. So you, you talk about how in 2014, the landscape of um, the world was a little different, right? So explain to me how the, the core mission of Village of Wisdom and its significance um, has changed from then until now. Because, you know, in 2014 and 2023, uh, we're seeing a different educational space for our kids. Books are being banned. Uh, we're told that, you know, <laughs> we're told that slaves, you know, b- people who were enslaved were uh, privileged because they got to learn a trade. Like, we're, you know, they're teaching all of these things in schools. So the landscape is a little different. So how does the mission of Village of Wisdom um, kind of align with that space now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so wild because... You know, in some ways it's different and in some ways it's the same. I think the ways in which it is different to be very specific about this is that moderate and left-leaning white folks, I think, were being lulled into sleep in 2014 to say that, like, maybe we fixed this race issue, right? And folks on the right were trying to avoid seemingly overly racist, being overly racist. Mm-hmm. And so what has happened as Trump came into light is that like white folks you know everybody remembers this like white folks are like oh my god the world is on fire y'all elected Donald Trump and black folks are looking around like this been who y'all are this is this is what y'all do right like we were not surprised right um and then you know most recently with DeSantis and a lot of the folks that came in after Trump people are like really sounded an alarm because like man they're really trying to take us back to they really trying to make America great again. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what folks is on. They're trying to take us to like civil rights, pre-civil rights era kind of like education tactics. Um, and so so that's the context, right? If I'm just like being specific about it. And then I think what happened for Village of Wisdom was this really interesting thing, which is that we had always been in the practice of like trying to move in an anti-racist way and move in an equitable way. But what we decided that we needed to be more careful about and deliberate about is how we push towards liberation. And so really when you think about how I, I shaped up what Village of Wisdom was when we accepted it was we created this thing to help black kids deal with racism inside of schools. That's a, although it's an anti-racist and perhaps equitable cause, it's not a liberatory cause. It's not a transformational cause. It's not a revolutionary cause. Because all you're trying to do is help people deal with the system that they're in. What changed around 2018, 2019 is, no, we're going to try to create the conditions that we actually want to see. So instead of just saying, hey, Black parents, can you talk to your kids about affirming them to create to, so that they can go into these learning environments, we said, no, Black parents, you have already created culturally affirming learning environments for your children. Let us take the wisdom that you have. Let us package that and put it into ways so that schools and other parents and other folks can create as many culturally affirming learning environments as possible for black children. So we go from trying to prep kids for discrimination to how do we create culturally affirming learning environments for mm-hmm. black kids so that they, when they go into a learning environment, they're not having to do all that stuff I was talking about before. They're not having to learn irrelevant cultural context. They're not having to code switch unnecessarily. And they're not having to deal with racism in the first place. Like, that would be a revolutionary idea. That would be a more liberatory idea. That's the, that's the world we want to see as opposed to just dealing with the world as it is. So is, is your approach in that going to the schools or... Are you approaching it by going to uh, the district level? Like, how are you approaching saying, hey, schools, we need to be sure that these spaces for these black folks, these black babies are equitable, that they're safe? Like, what is your approach uh, to doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, like, the, the thing here, right, is that there's a lot of good people doing good work to, like, push advocacy and organize against uh, or to work with schools to improve like how equitable they are, like getting rid of zero tolerance policies. You got folks like Education Justice Alliance, Creed, uh, um, We Are, 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's just these different organizations here locally that do really dope work, epic, right? So like th that needs to continue to happen. But I like to say this thing. A lot of people like to say knowledge is power. I like to say creating knowledge is power. When you create knowledge, you dictate how people operate in the world. And so the issue is, is right now, is if you ask the teacher, if you said, hey, during public school, by 2025, I want all your classrooms to be culturally responsive. What faith do you have that all of those classrooms will be culturally responsive? Mm -hmm. You probably shouldn't have much. Right. Why is that? Because they don't know how to do it. You are sending a whole bunch of people into play spades with the 60 year old champions that play with two decks at a time and telling mm -hmm. them, you know, that they need to play smart and, and not get a lot mm -hmm. of sandbags. It's not going to happen. You haven't taught them right. how to play the game. You know what I mean? And so, like, the thing is, is that we have to kind of create more resources, tools and even measures for culturally affirming spaces. And who better to validate whether a space is culturally affirming or not than a black parent? Because if I go to you, Dion, and you said, I think you, you said you got a four-year-old or a five-year-old? Five-year-old. My son is five. My daughter is 19. So the five-year-old, is is he already in kindergarten or is he about to go? He just started. Yep, two weeks ago. He just started. So most likely, if I'm imagining the conversation, if you had met me back in February, you'd be like, hey, Will, where are you sending your kids to school? Right. I'm trying to decide. This is a question we right. get all the time. What if I could, t what if I told you in three years, because of the work that we're doing, we would be able to point out the black parent validated schools in Durham public schools. Mm. Mm. You mm. post that on your black parenting group and people are like, well, what schools you want to go to? Like you get a lot of different opinions, but what if you knew that there were some parents that actually understood what culturally affirming learning environments looked like? They had spent time with other black parents, with other black teachers, with the research and all this other stuff, looking at that. What's the space that your kid is gonna feel good about learning? What's the space where they're gonna feel good at just about being themselves? Where are they gonna be pushed at? And you were able to see like, hey, there's rankings for some of these schools. There's actually black genius certified teachers in your district. You want to try to get into those schools and get your kids going to those schools. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do, right? Because for every kid that goes into a public school um, and during public schools, you're talking about eight, somewhere between eight to $10,000 a pop. So every time you remove a kid out of the district, they losing 8K. Every time you add a kid to the district, they get 8K. Mm -hmm. You add 10 kids to the district, that's $80,000. That's a teacher and benefits. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something that they're going to respond to, right? Like they're going right. to have to respond to because we're in a capitalistic society and that's how revenue does. And that's the same thing for private schools, the same thing for charter schools. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, we're just going to send this to, send our kids to this school because it's super rigorous. And a lot of times we got our kids going into these super white spaces because they're supposed to be rigorous. And yeah, they might be getting a little bit smarter academically, but a lot of times those spaces are killing our kids' souls. Mm -hmm. And so like, we shouldn't have to make that kind of judgment call, right? Like, we need to be able to find in places. And I believe that there are those places where people are doing a good job of both. Yeah. And you know what? This is a this is a great conversation because, you know, I'm someone who grew up. My elementary school was a I went to a Catholic elementary school. Right. But it was ninety nine point eight percent, ninety nine point nine percent black. Right. First through fifth grade. It was so black that we had the black pledge of allegiance with that we said oh, wow. every morning one of my facebook friends i don't remember it one of my facebook friends knows it verbatim the only thing that i remember is that it ended with the words right on and we put our fist <laughs> in it. so this, from, <laughs> from first through fifth grade will this is all i knew right uh -huh. <laughs> so and, 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 and when I'm in it, I don't understand the significance of it, right? It's not until yeah. I become an adult and I'm raising my own children that I realize that there is a certain importance that comes with that culturally affirming education, right? And it's mm -hmm. now something that I wish I could have maintained throughout my entire academic career. Fast forward to my role as a father, as I'm looking for schools for my son, right? Um, one of the things that my wife and I are, we looked for, just like you said, where are some schools where 
number one, he's not the only black boy in the class. Number one, he sees folks that look like him. Number number one, he has you know a a, a form of uh, education that speaks to uh, being able to understand where he comes from and what his value lies in. And one of the things that I found is that a lot of the times those things, and maybe this is just in North Carolina, um, the schools that offer those oftentimes are charter schools, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't see those things in just the regular public schools. And as parents, we may not know how to advocate for um, our children to get into those types of spaces. So what are some of the things that parents can do um, just to kind of take the initiative if they are uh, a parent of a soon to be kindergartner or a parent of a child who they say, hey, I want my child to go to a school and I want my child to see uh, people who look like him and people who affirm him and people who who make him feel good about where he where he's from and who he is. What can what 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 can I as a parent do to find those spaces? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would tell them to come to a village wisdom wisdom Wednesday event. Mm-hmm. That's something that we host a couple of times a year, somewhere between two to four times a year, where essentially we go through each one of the Black Genius elements. Um, and what that does is there's six elements of Black Genius elements that were created with Black parents um, in the beginning part of the Village of Wisdom. And so, you know, we were listening to parents and we heard them say the same things over and over again. Some of the things that you just mentioned, which is that like, hey, um, my child isn't really interested in what's happening here. You know, I ain't enough black history up in this piece and they don't trust the teachers. And so those things, the first thing black folks should hear, and I want y'all to really listen to me, is that yes, you are right. You are right. It's not an unreasonable thing to ask for. What you are asking for is exactly the right thing. The thing that you feel in your spirit, that thing is right. And and I don't want you to feel any type of way about asking for that stuff, right? And what we see, and and you should know that you've been validated by hundreds, if not thousands of other Black parents and wanting that for your kids, that you want more Black history, that you want them to be interested, that you want them to feel like they can trust their teachers. and then you should also know that you're validated by other folks that don't look like you. Brene Brown made a whole bunch of money um, and continues to make a whole bunch of money off of talking about vulnerability and trust. She's like, got a whole bunch of TED Talks. You can look her up if you've never heard about her before. She's been on Oprah. And she talks about, like, if you can't trust somebody, then you can't love, you can't create, and you can't learn. And so when you say you want your child to be able to trust that teacher, you're telling that teacher that I want them to be able to love, I want them to be able to learn, and I want them to be able to create in your classroom. Can we agree on that? And so if you went on Village of Wisdom site and you like looked on there, you would see, you type in Black Genius, Black Genius Profile Creator, and you can come up and there's also a prompt to say like, hey, you want to take the vow to protect Black Genius, and it'll give you a set of resources to kind of go and look at. And one of the things that the, the Black Genius Profile Generator, and we're trying to make it better, but one of the points of it is, is that there's one tool on our website that goes through the six Black Genius elements as questions. And those are questions that you can ask your kid. Those are questions you could actually turn around and write basically like a love letter to your child's teacher. This is my child. Mm. These are mm. the things that they're interested in. This is how they think about their Blackness. This is like how you develop a trusted relationship with them. This is how they understand what trust to be. Um, this is how they move across different cultural environments. When it comes to social justice and causes, these are the things that they care about. Um, and this is how they react to challenge. You know what I mean? If it's a five-year-old or like my six-year-old, the way she reacts to challenges sometimes is like she starts to cry a little bit. You know what I mean? But it's going to be okay. But I think explaining that stuff to teachers, one, helps ground them in who your child is and also helps them understand your expertise about your child. That should be assumed. But it makes it very, very apparent. And so that framework, I think, is like a really interesting way to kind of present that to the teacher and help them understand it. And then I think it's also something to kind of build off of. It's like, well, how can we push my child's Black identity along? Are you going to show them representations of people who've made intellectual contributions in math this year? How many? Let's talk about them. You need some options? I'll Google and send you some here. You know, I, I was sending stuff last year, like, hey, these, hey, did you know it was this day? Did you know this was happening in school? Like, you know, sending that stuff to, because a lot of times, you know, I was a teacher, like, I was busy. I didn't know all of that stuff. Like, there were certain things I just didn't know. And I think a lot of times, 
because of the system that we're in, we as black folks know that stuff. Do they have access to it? And it, I think the beautiful thing about that, a beautiful thing about you sending them for information in about your kid and the things that would make them feel good about being black and their interest, it's highly likely there's another black child in that classroom that's going to benefit from that. Mm-hmm. At one time I had a teacher, you know, we were training them to kind of do the black genius profile and they were like, well, what am I going to do? Just teach you this one kid. And I asked them, who are you teaching to now? And they said, nobody. You know, well, I mean, basically there was no answer, right? And what that means is probably they're teaching to the white kids, right? Because like that's what mm-hmm. our society does. And so when you teach specifically to black children, because we have a shared culture, it's more likely that you're going to reach more black kids. Right. And so like that thing, I would just say is that like in that situation, not only are you, the beautiful thing about it is not only are you advocating for your own child, you're probably improving the educational uh, experience for a lot of other black kids in your kid's class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, one of the reasons that I started this podcast is because you know, there is a growing emphasis on the roles of fathers in the lives of our kids' education, right? Um, I want to be sure that it's explicitly said that as dads, we do have the rights and the responsibilities to be engaged in the education of uh, our children, right? So in the context of Val, how do you see the influence of fathers kind of shaping the 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 educational trajectory of uh black babies you know i think it's a really interesting question and i think i'll be transparent about something right like we probably consistently work with parent leaders that consistently help us with the work that we do we work with about 11 parents right now where you know in the middle of a dreamship process that you kind of alluded to which means we would bring in a whole another 20 group 20 of those parents of the 11 or so parents that we work with consistently, two of them are men. Um, so that kind of tells you, like, proportionately, like, about 80% of the population that we typically deal with is Black women. Um, now, that being said, like, one of the things that we always talk about in probably 70 to 80% of our staff is Black women. Um, so I say all that to say, just shout out to the Black women, the Black mamas out there that's holding it down and doing all the beautiful work that they do. I think, you know, as you alluded to, like, there are Black men in this world, and, you know, Ivory Tolson does a good job of this data and a lot of other people, that shows that, like, we're really active, right? Like, we're actually one of the more active, like, dad populations in this country in terms of, like, our involvement in our lives. So, like, I would just also affirm all the Black fathers out there, like, you're doing a good job, yo. Like, feel good about what you're doing. Don't let this kind of, like, deadbeat daddy thing get in your head because I think sometimes we can let that get in our head and then we end up talking negative to other black folks because people talk about stuff that don't apply to me when people got Mm -hmm. stuff to say about you know father's day and all that other stuff I don't get upset my kids are sending me cards you know what I mean like I ain't got to get in that (laughs) argument so like what I'm saying is don't spend your energy arguing about stuff that ain't got nothing to do with you you know what I mean hit dogs will holler I ain't no dog so I ain't hollering so if it don't apply let it fly right (laughs) yeah exactly like that it ain't none of your business it's not worth your stress it's enough things that's stressful for black men in this world for you not to be worried about some stuff that ain't got nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. um the the other thing that i would say is that you know particularly for black men i think we also know that there's a certain way that people react to us when we show up in spaces and that means something not only for our children but for the other kids as well and so, like, obviously, your presence in your child's space, if you can make that work, means a lot to them. And it means a lot to the other students because that's, you know, another example of a black man that they got that they get to see showing up for their kids. Um, it also gives me energy when I see other black, you know, men in there. I'm like, oh, what's up, man? Like, that's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Like, it, it's good to mm-hmm. see. And I think that the other thing is, is that, like, we all have different experiences that are gendered in this world. And so there are certain gendered experiences that black men have that are often, you know, supportive and helpful to contribute to spaces. Right. And so like when I mean, because if we're talking about black dads, like we're talking about a gender situation. So like that's why I give all the context of like how I'm approaching this conversation is that like, well, what makes you a dad? Well, because you identify as a black man who gave, I guess, birth to a child. Right. And so like your gendered experience contributes to in uh, influences your lens and how you think about things that happen inside of the world. And so I think about the two dads that kind of we work with now, Samuel and William, 
and they show up a lot. One of them, to be very clear, like is helping to create has helped to create the criteria that we're using to evaluate whether or not lesson plans are culturally affirming or not. So that's how he's showing up in the world. And then William has helped to co-construct a live Black Genius Classroom that's been showing up in the Juneteenth event. He's helped to support our Black Genius Breed video. Like he was a big part of that. We're creating another video. He's being a reflective practice partner to some of the folks that are developing curriculum now. He flew out to meet with California when we were in a room full of people who were thinking about how we assess and judge um, classroom environments for Black kids. So like we're trying to put Black parents in general in those spaces more and more. And then obviously we have Black dads who are showing up to give that particular perspective. And that perspective is valuable, right? Like because there is a very specific, you know, Black um, man perspective that comes to, that comes to bear when we think about that. I think especially when you're thinking about like how kids show up and how they deal with their masculinity. And, and one of the things that I recently have like tried to come to terms with and, and thinking about is like, how do I model being appreciative as a black man? Hmm. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, how do I show gratitude? Hmm. Um, there's a, there are, there's a lot of difficult things about being a black man, but there's a lot of beautiful things about being a black man. For sure. And I think, we give our our own selves an opportunity to see a wider version of masculinity, which I think benefits everybody when we think about the gratitude that we could show other people. The gratitude of the people who brought us into this world, the gratitude of our children that love us, it seems like no matter what, the gratitude of our partners that helped us bring those kids into the world, gratitude for life, gratitude for God, like all of those things, right? Like if we think about the gratitude that we have, right? How how would that permeate? Um, what I often find to be a very tight box of masculinity for Black men, and mm-hmm. I think that tightness is kind of what gets us in trouble. Is that like, well, I don't want to get outside of this box that people told me that Black masculinity need to look like. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, we're all human, and so where we show up on that spectrum is going to be in very different places. And I think where we get in most trouble is like where we're trying to show up inside of this box when we know our version of masculinity is over here. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think the greatest gift we can give to folks is to be how you feel you should be as a black man in a whole and healthy way, not on some broken version of black man that society has fed us. Yeah. And, you know, I've been I've been traveling and 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 working with um educators and uh folks in the juvenile justice system uh, and, and 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 helping them to better understand the importance of a culturally relevant pedagogy right and one of the things that i try to guide them on is 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 gaining an understanding of um stereotype threat right and when you mm-hmm. look at the research that Dr. Claude Anderson has done around stereotype threat and the impact that it has on um, Black students, right? This is the first time that, I, that, I, that I've actually thought about the effect that it might have on Black parents, right? Because if mm. society tells us that as parents or as dads, we're deadbeats, right? If that's the mm. only image that we see is of a father that's a deadbeat, um, then a lot of times that um, that stereotype is going to manifest itself within our actions, right? So you 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 open my eyes to something there. Um, but what I want to talk about is the importance of not just having a culturally relevant pedagogy in the classroom. How can we as fathers um, have a culturally be be culturally relevant champions in our homes right because a lot of times we we don't think about um educating our kids on the importance of things as simple as juneteenth or things as simple as Mm -hmm. you know like you said your mom told you who you know all sciences were black um how can we as fathers be champions of culturally relevant uh pedagogies in our home not just in the classroom yeah, I appreciate this question. It's a beautiful question. I think, you know, this is a really a, like a lot of what this original Village of Wisdom work was about was to create these racially affirming moments for children. 
And I think one of the beautiful things about being in 2023 is like we got access to so much stuff, right? Um, Gracie's Corner is like uh, a cheat code, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and I think a lot of people like are aware of that, but like just seeing a black family teaching you educational things, I don't, I don't want folks to miss what that means because a lot of times black kids are in a situation where they got to go to a school where everybody that teaches them doesn't look like them. And so what that does is it creates a certain idea about where knowledge comes from. And so the more inside of your classroom or inside of your home, you can show black kids that black people are responsible for knowledge, creating knowledge and communicating knowledge. It changes their relationship to knowledge. And like, I can't overstate the importance of that because we live in a world literally dictated by knowledge that we created. Like I saw this comedian talk about it. He was like, we got the stock market and we turn it on every morning. And he's like, why don't we just turn it off? Like, it's not gravity. Like we created all of this stuff. The house that you live in some right now is something that somebody else designed. The streets that you go down, somebody else created that stuff. The car that you were in, somebody designed that. So your relationship to knowledge and how important knowledge is into literally shaping the world is such an important thing to do for your kids. To show them that Black people create knowledge is so important for them to understand that I can be a creator of knowledge, right? And so something very simple as Gracie's Corner teaching them what ABCs are and seeing little black stick figures do that on a screen is communicating a very important message. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then my other advice is just to overdo it. Black genius, everything, black brilliance, whatever you want to call it, like black kids are beautiful. Like just remembering that you could never tell your black child that they are smart because they are black and that their hair is beautiful and that their skin is beautiful and that they are from a long line of beautiful black ancestors enough. If you did it with your every waking breath, it wouldn't be too much. Mm. Mm. Um, and good. so like I would say, you know, for black folks do the most <laughs> when it comes to affirming your black kids. And the thing that I think trips people up, right? Cause you got a five-year-old and I did my, my dissertation on this is that people conflated talking about being black with talking about racism. Mm. unpack it I don't have to tell my child that you know slavery existed and all this other stuff to tell her that Mae Jemison was an astronaut mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't have to I don't have to big up um, I'm forgetting the sister's name that helped them map out how to get to, to the moon and back mm -hmm. that she was dealing with, you know, people spraying dogs and, and sicking dogs on her at the same time as her uh, accomplishing that fact, right? Like, my mom brainwashed me into believing all scientists were Black, not by teaching me about slavery, but by teaching me about Mae Jemison, about teaching me about Do Do Dr. George Washington Carver, about teaching me about Dr. Charles Drew. Like, that's how that happened. And so, like, I don't want folks to conflate teaching our kids about racism as teaching them about being black. Like we are mm -hmm. black separate of racism in a kind of this weird way. And we can affirm our cultural backgrounds in the origin story, the true origin story of our blackness in ways that do not require us to talk about racism at every moment. Because while much of our black American experience is shaped by racism, we are not defined by racism. And that mm -hmm. starts with our conversation with our kids by making them feel good about being black. Mm. So let you know we, we we we're talking about fathers, right? And 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 the role that we as fathers play. And of course, every initiative, every effort is going to have setbacks and challenges. Um, for you as a father, what are some of the hurdles that you have encountered in 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 your personal quest to be actively present in your kids' education? Um, I mean, I think one thing is time. I run an organization. Um, I'm busy. 
I'm always on the phone. I probably work too much. You know what I mean? Like, that's a thing. Like, I was thinking about as I'm, like, telling folks to do this. I was like, I need to go down there and tell it to my own kids. Like, I ain't doing the most. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, like, I'm I'm not overdoing it. tell my own kids about Mae Jemison. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let me let me go back down there and reinforce that message. Now, they got every black book we could find. And, you know, ain't no, we try to keep no white dogs in the house and all that other stuff. But, like, you know, I think the 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 pitfalls is time um i think the pitfalls is also like you know especially for me i am careful about how i engage with teachers because of my background and the stuff that i know um and not wanting to be like overdoing it and kind of like helicoptery um but you know, like one of the things that we kind of realized was that, so our, you know, our child goes to a public school here in Durham and um, we chose a school that was going to have a lot of black and brown kids and a lot of black and brown teachers. Cause I was like, look, we can, we can figure out the academics in kindergarten and the rest of that stuff. Um, but I'm not trying to fix, you know, somebody's like assessment of your blackness, right? Like I don't want them to have you messed up on that stuff. Like that's, I, I can't do that. I can teach you I can add, you know what I mean? Like I, I can teach you how to read. Like I can do those other pieces. And but it, you know, it's also was challenging when, you know, one time she came home and she was like, you know, I don't know that I'm necessarily being challenged. And that's, you know, that's tough, right? Like, how do I support her in that conversation? Like, what do I do? What is the challenge there? How do we ask a teacher about differentiation? Like, how do we kind of make sure that she's getting enough books and enough questions to really challenge her academically? And that's, you know, that's challenging because, like, I don't have a background in elementary education. Um, I taught high schoolers, you know what I mean, and middle schoolers. Like, I don't really know what that looks like. Now, my mom did, right? And so, like, she's always on our case about, like, why y'all ain't in the workbook? She ain't did the little pages that I sent to her and, you know, all that other stuff. And so, like, I mean, those are the things that I show up, you know, those are the things, the challenges that I think a lot about. It's just, like, you know, there is no perfect place. But also wanting to make sure that my child, you know, is appropriately challenged and pushed along to get the most out of, like, you know, her capacity and abilities. And at the same time, I also want her to be comfortable with her people. Um, And so, you know, that's a balance. So... This is this is such a good conversation, man. It's it's so you're dropping so many jewels, and I'm I'm really processing this conversation as you're speaking, um, and and also thinking about you know my journey as a father, and we we oftentimes either talk about or witness uh, some of the systemic barriers that are in place in in, in various sectors, right? Um, but with you having experience as an, as an educator and now being in the space that you're in and being a father, I think you have a really, really good perspective. So, and it's, it's a perspective that a lot of us don't have, right? So, and a lot of us don't know how to deal with the barriers that might come up, uh, for us as fathers and as dads and as wanting to be engaged in the, in the education. And, you know, those barriers can come in the form of not having the best relationship with your co-parent, that those barriers could come with not having the best education yourself or not feeling like you're educated, educated enough to be engaged with your child when it comes to school. Uh, give me some, some, some words of, of, of wisdom, so to speak, uh, for that dad who just feels like, you know, he doesn't have what it takes to uh, be engaged in his child's education or to be hands-on, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for folks who are feeling like that, I think your presence speaks volumes, right? Like, if you can't give anything else, then giving your time is valuable. Um, and... Here's the thing, I know enough about education to know that there's a lot of black men that come to the end of their education experience not really having anybody find a way to support their educational attainment. Like there's enough data out there 
to say mm-hmm. that there's a significant amount of folks our age who had a really, really bad experience in school. And that's rough. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I, first of all, I think just to sit with that, to acknowledge, to say, hey, bro, like, I see you, right? And I, and I get, and, and also to say, like, it's not your fault. Right, because like, I think sometimes like we can internalize that. Like, you know, I went to bad schools. Nobody ever cared about me. Nobody loved me. Now I'm sending my kids back into these same schools that told me I was a problem and all this other stuff. I don't want to show up there to see this person look at me and and say that you know, like to 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 make a value judgment on my life. You didn't care about me then. Why would you care about my kid? It's like we just got to sit with that, right? Like, and say, like, hey, bro, like, I see you. And I, and I think that that's a real and valid feeling. What I will also say is that your genius, your wisdom, brother, was never and never lied with inside of that school. It did not come from them. They did not give it to you, and they cannot take it away. You know, Dion said something about, like, you know, what did Dion say? He said something about like they asked him like you know what uh did he feel like he wanted like did he feel like showing up today or like what somebody thought about him and he was like you didn't give this to me and you couldn't take it away right right and I right. think that even given people's bad experiences with schools what they didn't do is they didn't take away the genius that you had. and so those valid feelings that you have about how you were mistreated I think is valuable information for those teachers to know so in some ways your unique experience of being devalued and communicating that through an adult voice to another adult and say that i will not allow this to repeat with my child is invaluable and probably inarguable y'all treated me like this i saw you treat me like this you're treating my child like this. I will not stand by for that. And I'm, I'm going to explain to you because I have the personal experience and I've heard them repeat the same things back to me, right? And so either you're going to be able to fix this or my child needs to be in a different place. Hmm. And the thing I like to remind schools and educators and decision makers about is that you ought to be willing to move a child when you find out that that teacher cannot reach them Because the alternative is, is that you will allow for that child to be moved when they make it uncomfortable for that teacher. Mm. I'll say that again, right? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kid is wilding now, they are quote unquote disrespectful inside of the school, then you'll be ready to move them, right? Like get them out of my class. But I come to you and I say that you're doing harm, that my child isn't able to trust you because you've been disrespectful in how they speak. I'm I'm saying that I don't feel like you're speaking to the the whole the humanity of my kid because they haven't seen themselves represented and who has presented intellectual contributions. And therefore I need my child to be in a different learning environment. They should be able to honor that because they'd be really willing to kick your kid out of school if they feel like they showed up disrespectful. Right. So like I think that, that those are the things. It's just like to to use what I think happens so much and we you know, I think this isn't something like, this is not the like black person trying to tell other black people what to do thing, right? Like, but what I want folks to understand is that your experience, even if it was difficult, it is still valuable because it can help somebody else not have to go through that thing. And so that is the gift that you have to give to other people is that like, I know what that looks like. I know what those outcomes are. And so that the one thing you will not do is I will not allow history to repeat itself in my own child. Oh, hell no. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, and I think you can, Mm -hmm. you can stand firm in that and and know that I think that that is well reserved. Well, that will, I don't know if it's going to be well received, but what I also know is that most of the times folks don't want that smoke, especially Mm -hmm. if you are coming in and kind of like a controlled, but like clearly perturbed manner, like folks are going to be like, well, we got to do something. (laughs) And I think I think what it boils down to a lot of times is that we have to we we as parents have to know that we have to advocate for our children. Right. Um, Specifically in this space, you know, my son is on the autism spectrum. So this was 
a, a, a learning experience for me to go in and sit down and talk about IEPs and talk about all of these things and say, no, he doesn't, he, he's not going to do that. He needs to do this. Right. And, and going to that through that process and, and, and having people with PhDs tell me, you know, and this is a personal story when, when he was being diagnosed um, with autism, it was during COVID and all of the things were going on. So a lot of, you know, everything was virtual. So uh, we were going through his, uh, his assessment and we were telling uh, one of the doctors, the, the, the psychologist on the um, assessment team, like, yo, like he can, like, he can read, like my man can read, like he's three years old, but like he can, like he get busy, like he can read. So dude was like, oh yeah, you know, we're sure that he's probably just memorizing the story. I said, no, 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 no. He can read. Like, let me show you. I'm going to, I'm going to show you on this computer screen, a book that he's never seen before. I'm going to put it in front of him and he's going to read it for you. My boy got there and, and read the book. Bop, 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 bop. Doctor said, oh, that's pretty impressive. I know it's impressive, right? But this is me advocating for my child because you're not just going to go off of your previous experience, engage my child's abilities off of what you think he can do from what you've seen before, right? So as parents, we have to be able to step up to the plate. We have to be able to advocate um, for our babies, right? Because if, if we don't, then who will? And we have to you know, be unafraid and we have to be bold and step into these spaces as dads and say, you know, I, I listen, I, I know it might not be a lot of dads on the PTA, but what's up? Like, I'm here. Like, you need me to sell some donuts? Like, you need, like, what you, what you need me to do? Like, what's up? I'm here. And I think we as fathers, we have to uh, get engaged and we have to stay engaged in any way, uh, shape or form, right? And, and, and I think you said it, Will. I think showing up is, is the key to all of that. Uh, so I want to look ahead a little bit and, and and talk about what we can anticipate from Village of Wisdom in the near future. Um, is there any any groundbreaking initiatives? I mean, y'all are doing great work. Um, any any other things that are on the on the horizon that you want to talk about? Yeah, and I just want to add one like quick tidbit about what you just said because I think that there's two very different ways that you showed up. You talked about advocacy and showing up. You used your experience, knowledge, and wisdom as a parent about your child that lives with him, I'm assuming a lot, mm -hmm. to know that every he day. can do this particular every thing, right? Yeah, every day, right? I didn't want to make a full <laughs> assumption, but like, you know, you, you're around this child a lot, right? And, and, for, and, and for a lot of Black dads, that is the case. And so you know what their child can do when it comes to adding reading what words and a lot of times what happens is is that that will get misrepresented especially early on in a child's life and so being aware of like how because so what will happen is, is that people send like they send these these scores home like i, I don't know if y'all seen this stuff like i have a phd in education and i don't know what the other and so like i have to spend a lot of time looking at it but i think that that's also an opportunity for folks to go into the school and be like look i need you to explain this to me Okay, I, now I understand what this number means. This is what I've observed my child doing. Mm -hmm. Help me match those things, right? And, and what I will say is, is that conversation is so, so valuable. And this is not me poo-pooing on like PTAs and all that other stuff. But what I think schools have to do, and us as parents and families have to do, is think about how much energy we're putting into that type of conversation because my engagement around the instructional content that my child is receiving and making sure that it is relevant to their life is so, so important. And if I happen to sell some, some donuts at the same time of that, that is great. But really, back to the dollars and cents of it, mm -hmm. if you get this black boy exceeding on his test scores and that shows up in your school, What's going to happen is, is another black kid family is going to bring their child to that school and that's $8,000. Mm -hmm. Not $8 for a box of donuts. So you want me to come to the PTA meeting, but what you really want is you want me to be bragging on the school saying that they care about black kids because if another black kid comes to the school, that's $8,000 in your pocket. And I don't think that principals and teachers and everybody really understand the money, right? Like we are a capitalistic society, whether you like it or not. 
and you should be doing things that are driving that for the value of your children, and especially when it comes to better outcomes for Black kids. So that's my soapbox, sorry. So what's coming up with Village of Wisdom, right? So Village of Wisdom, um, we got a dream ship. You know, the first 20 applicants are going to be announced sometime. I don't know if it's going to happen before the new year. It may happen as late as February. Um, So we're super excited about who those folks are going to be and sharing those people with the world. We're super excited about the, the, the 196 people that applied, thinking about the different ways to engage them, with them to continue to be a part of the Village of Wisdom. Um, just a, really amazing and beautiful people apply all around, regardless of like where they came at. Um, and then the other thing is, is that this resource library that I was telling you about is about to drop, which essentially is where Black parents themselves, like from Village of Wisdom, have gone through and validated different learning strategies as being culturally affirming, as being racially affirming for Black kids, like things that would promote their learning, that would promote their interests, that would make them feel good about being Black, that would support them in developing trust and relationships, that would make them think about social justice issues. Like that's the type of like learning stuff that we're evaluating. And so we're going to put that on a resource library for folks to be able to pull that stuff down, pull it into their classrooms and use those same strategies. Um, and for folks to be able to pull it into their homes. So you asked that question about like, what does that look like in the home? And so I think folks should, should look for that. Um, and then, you know, we, we are going to be, you know, it's 10 years coming up in 2024. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what it's going to be yet, but, you know, we're going to try to make sure we have a big event to celebrate with this community that's been holding us down for 10 years. Like we got a lot of love for Durham. Um, it's been an amazing run. We're doing, we've done something because of the support of this community that a lot of people said couldn't be done. We got 15 people on staff. We'll have about a $3 million in expenditures this year with probably about 80% of that going back into the black community. So if you're wondering why you would make a village, a donation to Village of Wisdom is because it's like putting like putting money in the hands of black folks, that's why. Um, and, <laughs> and by the way, like black kids are gonna benefit w- while you're doing that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, those are all things like we're super excited about. You know, we got an Instagram page, uh, you know, keep up with us, sign up for our newsletter, and we definitely want to keep people up to date because you, you never know what kind of surprises we might have up our sleeves. For sure. So if let's let's talk to as we close, let's talk to educators, let's talk to district leaders, let's talk to principals, let's talk to anybody who has a role with um the education of our kids, right? If there is one actionable step that they could take monday when they go back to school to better um to create more culturally responsive spaces to to create safe and culturally responsive safe uh, spaces um for our kids what is that step I mean, it's hard if it's, you know, if you're saying one step, but I think, you know. You can give me more than one. I just said one, but, you know. I, th- <laughs> I mean, I think one thing that we advocate at Village of Wisdom is like, I think understanding what a child is interested in, asking one black kid, what are they interested in when it comes to learning? Like, what do they want to learn about? Um, it's a really powerful question. Um, and if you could ask two, it's even better. And if you could ask three, it's even better. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to learn something about that child. And you're going to learn something about what is intrinsically motivating them. Mm-hmm. And if you can tap mm-hmm. into what somebody just wants to do when they wake up, it's a higher likelihood that you can do, get to do them pretty much anything. You tell me, uh, this is anything about black liberation like that's like a cheese to a mouse you know what I'm saying like I'm I'm there like I, I want to be in that conversation you might not even have to pay me to show up like if that's what people talking about it and they serious about it and I think that 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 holds true for kids like for some kids it's rocks like you said you're gonna talk about rocks we're gonna do math we're gonna do counting Brad if you bring some rocks in here this kid about to do a lot of counting, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and so I think really like we got to pay attention to the interest and motivation of black kids. And I think sometimes we're a little scared of that. You're like, oh, well, they're going to say that they interested 
and you know social media and they want to be an influencer and it's gonna be you know some rap that we can't play in the classroom and i just feel like you missing the forest for the trees there like so right like if if, if that's what's gonna get them <laughs> to learn right. algebra is now you gotta talk about record contracts and how to how mm-hmm. to like divide and multiply and do logarithmic math to figure out mm-hmm. how they're gonna get their followers to grow then I would follow that. Right. But the alternative is that they're not paying attention to you. Right. And they're you not know, paying I, attention I, to you, they're not going to learn nothing. <laughs> a, lo- a lot of times I talk with these teachers and I talk with these educators of, about how they can use um, hip hop in the classroom. Right. And you'd mm-hmm. be surprised at how many folks, like you said, they think that they have to play music that has curse words in them and 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 they have to you know well we can't do that right but when i explain to them like you could do something as simple as call and response right call and response is something that black folks have been uh using and responding to since slavery right and and, you know it it permeates itself within our lives every day it's in the black church it's in the music that we listen to um it's how we have communicated for for centuries um, but you know, sometimes you have to step outside of your box, right? As an educator, you have to step outside of your box and you have to, uh, be willing to grow and you have to be willing to stretch yourself. Uh, so I, I think this was a really, really dope conversation, Dr. Jackson, uh, anything that you want to add, sir, anything that you want to say to the good folks, um, before we close out. Now, I, I just say that, like, I think a big part of what you just said there is that like that the the flip side of the interest question or conversation is that folks have to wrestle with why they don't see black people as human hmm. <laughs> because if I'm it was ask, anything I'm gonna ask you, to, I'm gonna ask you to unpack it I'm gonna ask you to unpack it <laughs> we got because, time like, let's go know, if, if it was a white kid saying he was interested in dirt bikes or pistols or hunting rifles or whatever, like you would be cool. But because it's a black kid saying that he want to ride up and down Fairville Street without a helmet on and his motorbike, now all of a sudden you can't master and understand the the complex physics, communications, English, balancing forces, math, science galore. Now it's not worth talking about. And you got to ask yourself why. And the only conclusion I ever can come to is because you don't see us as fully human. Because hmm. automatically when we do stuff, it's ghetto. Automatically when we do stuff, it's hood. Automatically when we do stuff, it's ratchet. And like, I, I hear Chris Emden screaming at me like, yeah, and like, we need to lean into that. And he's right. Like, that is our culture. And that's why that's why kids have a disconnect because every time I tell you what I'm interested in, you try to tell me that it's not human. And so you want me to sit up here and do this very human thing and learn with you, even though you're telling me everything that I love, create, and live for has no relevance and is devalued in your state. And so you got to ask that interest and then you got to wrestle with your own humanity and why you don't see this child, this beautiful black child as a human worthy of exploring their interest and pursuing that and struggling and dealing with the challenges of a complex world and not everything is great and not everything is bad and and, and all the gray of that like you got to sit with that you know what I mean and and that's like what I think you know I'll close out on is like that's what village of wisdom is about like that's why the acronym is vow it is to make a commitment to black liberation which requires you to see black folks as fully human good bad ugly beautiful great and everything in between it isn't just the magic part like you got to take the difficult parts too and that's what makes us human and that makes that's what makes us valuable and everybody is inherently valuable as a human and so like are you really willing to make that commitment that vow to protect black genius right like that's what the work is about and if you're not really really ready to wrestle with that then I think you should go home until you figure it out and come back when you're ready. Um, mm. 
I appreciate you so much, Dion, for, for having me on, yo. This is a, a great conversation. You got me riled up on a Friday. I ain't gonna be able to go to sleep. Uh, so I, I appreciate I, I, it. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. This was this was a really dope and needed conversation, great brother. Um, you are welcome to come back to the show anytime. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do some work together. And this this is just one podcast, so we gotta have you back on the Black People Parenting Podcast. So we we could do that over there. So we can have a whole another conversation over there. So, uh, but no, seriously, man, thank you so much, Will. It's been a pleasure, man. Um, it's, it's, how can they follow you? What's your Instagram? What's your what's your social media and all that? Uh, my Instagram is at pperiot. I done got off of that place formerly called Twitter. Um, so I guess check me out on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on the threads, man. We on, we on threads, getting it popping. <laughs> Okay, I, yeah, I'm over there on threads. I already be on there, but yeah, go ahead. It's not as lit, but it's not as lit yet. But it's you know, it's a good substitute. Like we, it's building, we, it's we're building it up over there. I'm with it. I'm with it. All right, man. Thank you all for joining us. This has been another episode. Shout out to my good brother Kelly Little. Thank you, Kelly, for supporting the show, man. He checks in every week. Definitely appreciate your love, homeboy. Um, you know, find this show. Uh, I'm gonna upload it to YouTube and on the podcast platforms at some point but as of right now it's just linkedin and it's uh inside of the black people parenting facebook group i want to keep it uh intimate and i want to keep it kind of contained to to us for as long as i possibly can but at some point i'll throw it up to the other other platforms but uh yeah thank y'all for joining us man we'll see y'all next week inside of dads in the class uh dr will jackson it's been a pleasure thank you good brother Thank you, fam. All right. Have a good one, y'all. Peace. Hey, are you looking for new and innovative ways to connect with your children? Do you want to learn how to connect with them through hip hop, social media and popular culture? Then look no further than my company, The Glad Dad. I'm Dion, a keynote speaker, professional development trainer and workshop presenter. And I'm also an expert in family engagement. And I want to show you and everyone around you how to use the latest trends to connect with young people on a much deeper level, a level that will truly break down barriers and create change. By working with the Glad Dad, you'll learn how to break through the noise and meet young people where they are to connect with them on their level. You'll discover new ways to communicate, engage, and create meaningful connections that'll last a lifetime. Whether you're a parent, teacher, or youth leader, I want to teach you the strategies that'll help you connect with your kids like never before. From keynote speeches to professional development training, I got you covered. So don't wait any longer. Visit my website, DionChavis.com today to learn more about how I can help you connect with your children through hip-hop, social media, and popular culture. Your kids will thank you for it. That's right, the Glad Dad, helping adults establish positive relationships with young people. Reach out to me today and let's discuss how I can serve you and your staff. Now let's get back to the podcast.